0: Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie.
1: Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello everyone and welcome to more than a muse. I'm Stani
0: and I'm Sadie and thank you for being here and being back. We took last week off. We needed a little bit more time I think to get this topic right. Get it well researched and I'm excited to talk about feminist art today.
1: Me too. We've touched on it a few times, definitely, Mm -hmm. but this will be a great way to just dive into the movement of feminist art and what was really like the key factors behind it. And of course, just how important it is today with everything Mm -hmm. that's going on in the world, and especially Mm -hmm. this month, just how important like protest feminist art can be.
0: Well, I remember when you first messaged me with the idea of doing protest art or feminist art, it kind of made me pause and think just about Yeah, the way of how influential can be. I mean, now we see images or posters or things like that go viral on the internet. I've seen a lot of pictures on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere, you Mm. know, of just posters um, sharing different messages. And that happened though even before the internet, right? Like just these viral iconic images that have been associated with women's rights and just different feminist movements. And so I'm excited to...
1: Yeah. You know, talk about
0: that and dive into that more.
1: That is such an interesting idea that when you were talking about that, I was just thinking like it's kind of hard to talk about like a modern feminist art because it's like still happening. Yeah. And eventually are they going to have to update textbooks to include memes? Probably. Right. Because that's kind of like our modern, like everyday art. Like there's these memes and stuff that go <laughs> viral <laughs> or like,
0: our history textbooks going to include like people's TikTok video essays? I know. You know, or like different highlight different TikTok creators that like, shared information on different movements and stuff.
1: You'd think, right? Because it's become it's such, such a huge a part. part. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's where we're headed. Man, I would hate to have to be the one in charge of writing that textbook. <laughs>
0: I know there's so much. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like now that's like where I go to a lot of the time. If I'm looking for news or something, I'll either go on Twitter. And if I want to know what people think about it, I'll go on TikTok. And yeah, <laughs> you know, no, like that's great. how I'm consuming media and learning about the world is through social media. And I don't think I'm alone in that.
1: <laughs> You're just like citing tweets, linking to TikTok videos.
0: Are you like, I've heard the joke of people saying like, the, oh, I read an article about this. Like that's the equivalent of just being like, oh, I actually, I, I saw a TikTok. And that's <laughs> what they said. <laughs> like that's the modern day equivalent of that oh, No,
1: That but is so true. So interesting. <laughs> but
0: yeah. So like we mentioned, we're talking about the feminist art movement. And you touched on it earlier that a lot of the things we've talked about or we're going to talk about in this episode We've either done half episodes on, full episodes mm-hmm. on, and so whenever we hit one of those, I'll definitely shout that out. Just to let you know how we're going to do this episode is I'm going to do a brief overview of the feminist art movement, and then Stani's going to talk about individual pieces and kind of yeah, I'm excited to learn about which ones we're highlighting today. Anything else? Or can we jump in? I
1: don't think so. Just know that we're here for you all with everything that's happening in the world. And we care about you and hope you enjoy this episode. And maybe it will inspire you to go make some art about things that I you're say Maybe it'll
0: be empowering Yeah. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, to start out,
0: I'm going to start by shouting out a previous episode. It was one of our very first ones, if not one of our very first interviews, and it was with Hall Rockefeller, who is the founder of the Less Than Half organization. We've done two episodes with her now at this point. She has a great Instagram account, a great community. So definitely go check her out and what she's doing.
1: Her handle is all.com. the dot lady dot artists. Thank so, you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always forget
0: for sure what that Instagram handle is. But yes, go give her a follow. So yeah, I'm shouting out that episode because she gave a book recommendation called The Short Story of Women Artists, which is really just that, but it is an amazing comprehensive guide of different movements but then also letting you know the artists associated with them and it's like I don't you just need this book if you if you like women in the arts it just would recommend okay and if you're listening to this podcast there's a really good chance that this interests you women in the arts so you know would recommend but I'm just going to read this little blip on feminist art on this page so in 1971 so this is like when it starts obviously feminism and the concept of feminist art protest art it's been around forever um but the actual coined like feminist art movement kind of existed in this time okay 1971 investigating the social and economic factors that had prevented women from achieving equal success with men the art historian lynda published an essay, Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists? It inspired a strong reaction among female artists. We have two episodes about Linda Nochlin. One of our, I think our third episode ever, which we talk about that whole essay that she did. And it's an amazing essay. But then we also got the Linda Nochlin Reader, which is a collection of her essays, interviews, and things like that. And we did a bonus book episode on that. So... Shout out to this. Like I said, a lot of the things we're talking about today we've covered, we've but now we're, a lot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing it a little bit out of order where we've talked about all the inner workings of everything and now we're doing the overview. <laughs> um, but anyways, the feminist art movement had already started with artists blatantly rejecting traditional portrayals of female nudes as goddesses. But after Nochlin's essay, feminist art entered a second wave as many artists continue to fight for gender equality, investigating such things as how women conform to social Expectations, and then it mentions that although feminist art movement started in the sixties and seventies, and I think the Linda Nochlin essay really pushed it forward. There's been just such a long history of women seeking to generate improvements for other women artists, even if they didn't describe themselves as feminist, which is something that I find interesting. There's a whole section in the book called striving for equality and rejecting women as object and it's funny because it just talks about the fact that a lot of these women did a lot of amazing things for themselves and for other women artists but at the beginning they were not willing to call themselves feminists which <laughs> I mean even to just my own life I yeah I, was I relate same. to sometimes <laughs> I I don't know what it is about that but like I was always about like, you know, promoting women and like supporting women. I I mean, I guess maybe not as perfectly as I thought I once was, but I, it took so long before I was like, oh yeah, I'm a feminist. Like it was such a dirty word.
1: I, yeah, I think that's really what it was. It was just seen as such a dirty word. There's like a quote that says, feminism causes women to kill their husbands, leave their children, Mm -hmm. like- (laughs) become lesbians you know stop shaving their legs and like riot in the streets you know like it was just this such extremist and there's nothing wrong I mean there's something wrong with killing people but (laughs) like everything else (laughs) there's nothing wrong with like expressing yourself how you want to but when it's seen as such an extremist like you either hate men or you're not a feminist I think it causes a lot of problems with people like identifying that way
0: yeah exactly and also I don't know. I was going to say it's almost, I think my issue is like the worst thing that I could possibly be was undesirable for men and calling myself a feminist, I think was that for a while. And then I learned that that's stupid. Anyways. (laughs) It's a process, and agreed. (laughs) When I graduated high school, at the very least, I feel like I quickly learned. But anyways, but yes, this book is amazing. Like I said, it talked about two different breakthroughs, which was the striving for equality, rejecting women as an object. We have a whole episode on the Guerrilla Girls, and they made an impact with their poster: "Do women have to be naked to get into the Met Museum?" Which is amazing. Which is just another example of feminist art. To go over it a little bit more. I really loved this quote from an article. This one was from artstory.org and about their article, Feminist Art. But it said, feminist artists sought to rewrite a falsely male-dominated art history, change the contemporary world around them through their art, intervene in the established art world and challenge the existing art canon. Feminist art created opportunities and spaces that previously did not exist for women and minority artists, as well as paved the path for the identity and activist art genres of the 1980s. So I think it was maybe just like this waking up of like, oh, something's not quite right here, you know, and (laughs) realizing that this was a boys club that everyone was living in and a part of and them being sick of it. <laughs> How the feminist art movement continued by the 1980s. There were art historians such as Grizzadella Pollock and Rosika Parker. They were going even further just to examine like the language of art history with its gender-loaded terms such as old master and masterpiece and again question the central place of like female nudes in art and asking why men and women are represented so differently. This is an interesting quote from that article. So in his 1972 book, Ways of Seeing, and it was a Marxist critic actually named John Berger, he concluded quote that men look at women, women watch themselves being looked at. And I mean, I guess that kind of goes exactly to what I was saying about feminism and how I was so scared to call myself anything because it was all about what a man would perceive me calling myself a feminist would be. So I thought that was interesting. So there's definitely waves to this feminist art movement. What's sometimes known as the first wave of feminist art, women artists kind of reveled in the feminine experience exploring vaginal imagery menstrual blood posing naked as like a goddess figure and defiantly kind of using media such as embroidery that had been considered women's work in their art so it's maybe mm-hmm. more of like you know reclaiming things that were once looked down on but then later feminists kind of rejected this approach and attempted to reveal the origins of our ideas of femininity and womanhood this quote was interesting to me that they pursued the idea of femininity as a masquerade which was a set of a poses adopted by women to conform to social expectations of womanhood so i think the first That's wave took story. it very literally and the second wave was like we don't have to take this so literally let's be a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit more <laughs> nuanced with it but then since the 1990s the feminist art and discourse has tried at least to take on more of an intersectional approach which is something that i think feminism and the world in general is just always working i mean you would hope that most people are working to be more aware of that that many feminist artists explore not only their gender identity through their art but also their racial queer you know ableism and just other aspects of their own identity to kind of inform I don't know who they are in the world and things like that some key artists which I know you're going to talk about probably them a lot more Judy Chicago Mm -hmm. who was
1: mentioned before
0: yes and she did the dinner table Mm -hmm. right or the dinner party excuse me which I can't even think back to a specific episode because I feel like we talk about that piece of artwork I know. over it's and over. It's come up
1: a lot, and I'm going to talk about it again today. So okay, go. good.
0: <laughs> Barbara Kruger, Hannah Wilk, mm-hmm. Marina Abravamick, Miriam Shapiro, Carolee Schneeman, I think that's how you say that, Hannah Wilk, and Jenny Holzer. Just name a few. But also, like I mentioned, there's so many other groups, like the Guerrilla Girls. Yes. And, I mean, also even before this modern feminist yeah. art movement so many artists that we've talked about Sofanisba finisba Angosola, she's kind of referenced mm-hmm. as someone who at least paved the way for other women artists artemisia Gentelsky. There there's so Definitely. many amazing ones who yes. maybe didn't call themselves a feminist in the same way that we do now but mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to ignore what they did Agreed. for
1: art and that's women. definitely something that came to mind as I was like preparing this because yeah it kind of talks about most of the feminist art works that start getting mm-hmm. referenced are in like the 1960s 70s and 80s and beyond but if you think of like the way that Artemisia yeah, Gentowski like portrayed Mm the women and her artwork clear back in the Baroque era like you can't describe it as anything other than feminist like it's just really powerful and really amazing so I think it definitely is a broader aspect than I think it's ever referenced as I guess like they weren't doing it necessarily in protest until now like in the 60s and 70s and so maybe that's yeah the
0: divide is but like it wasn't as intentional like meant Mm -hmm. to be feminist art but you're right I mean there were so many people who came before that almost like did the groundwork for them so that I don't know this feminist art could exist in the world that it did agreed well there's our brief overview do you want to talk about some of the amazing pieces that are associated with feminist
1: art I also just wanted to mention really quickly, there's a bunch of causes that can be like covered and it's, like a lot of them are more recent but I would encourage all of you like if you're interested to go look up art that's being done about like the refugee crisis the climate crisis yeah. nuclear disarmament LGBTQ activism and most recently Black Lives Matter hmm. there's like some really incredible modern artists that are doing a ton of stuff for that right now they're just not a part of like the chronicle of our history yet because it's so current so recent yeah yeah but definitely like go look up some modern artwork on crisis stuff it's like it's incredible incredible. incredible what people are doing.
0: And also too, like as you're scrolling your Twitter and TikTok feed, don't forget that like what we are seeing is a form of
1: art, right? Definitely.
0: It's easy to look at them and be like, oh, quippy little funny signs. But like there's different symbols that become associated with the movements and
1: yeah, agreed like art. even stuff that people put on their protest signs becomes a part of it like the one quote that was like we're the granddaughters of the witches you couldn't burn you know like that's yeah. everywhere
0: like now it's almost <laughs> kind of choogy because you've seen it <laughs> everywhere but yeah exactly like it becomes iconic it was on a iconic. protest sign
1: Yeah, Uh and there's a bunch of them, like the future is female, you know, like stuff that's been around for so long that we don't even really associate it with, I don't know, anything like positive anymore. Like you said, it's like kind of chuggy, but yeah, there's a ton. Absolutely. I'm just going to Google real quick. Oh, there's like the equal rights for others does not mean less rights for you. It's not pie. My arms are tired from holding this sign since the 1960s. Respect my existence or expect my resistance. Or
0: nasty woman, that was something you thought we were oh, nasty yeah. before, that was something. The nasty woman trope was a big thing. I think I think didn't did Trump say that? Is that where that came from and then we claim that back Probably. or someone else say that?
1: I don't know. Uh, anyways. the <laughs> Rights of the minority should never be subject to the whim of the majority. Oh, yeah. They always rhyme. They really I, like it really like This one, ugh, where do I even start? This is so funny. Someone just has a sign that says, I'm very upset. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, anyways. Now I'm just like scrolling through Google, looking at these signs and they're just so good. (laughs) There must be death eaters afoot because our civil rights are slithered away. Oh my gosh. But
0: (laughs) legit, I mean, like it's easy to like look at these and laugh, but it's like, it's so cool to see the ways pop culture Mm -hmm. is like uniting us all. And the way that, you know, these people like women can reclaim these phrases and use them as a form of protest or just all these different kinds of things
1: that it's like. I don't know.
0: People just making their statements, you know?
1: Yeah, agreed. And it's such like, I don't know. I think it's beautiful. Like, I really do. Like, you put cardboard and a marker, you know, to work and then go out there and stand the streets and hold it. Like, it's a work of art, even if it's not beautiful. Like, you're saying something. And I think that that's really, really cool.
0: Oh, man. I just looked up the 1960s rights protest signs. And there was one that said, welcome to the Miss America cattle auction. Um (laughs) And just, oh man, so many good ones.
1: Yeah, they're really good. Definitely recommend. Okay, let's get into some examples. Most of these are going to be, I think pretty much all of them are from the 1960s and Mm -hmm. 70s. I have a few from the 80s and from the 40s that I remembered from my art history classes. Cool. But also I will say right off the bat, this is not super intersectional. I just chose ones that are recognized in the categories of feminist art, which means that it's not very diverse. Mm-hmm. So I apologize in advance for that. But like we've talked about so many times, like feminism was very whitewashed for a very long time. So it's still working on it. There are modern women of color that are doing incredible things, but there's not a lot of historical examples that were recognized. So we're just going to go over the ones that are like just recognized the most. And I'm sure that's leaving people out, but this is what I've got to work with. The first one is actually one that I remember from an art history class. And I've like never been able to forget it because I just think it's so incredibly poignant and amazing. It's by an artist named Louise Bourgeois. And I'm going to have you Google these, actually, when I talk about them, if that's cool. She's actually done a ton of works, but they're all under the title of, like, femme maçon. I think that's Mm -hmm. what it means. It means either, like, woman house or housewoman in French. Yeah. Because she's a native of France. And they're just so cool. She played around with a ton of imagery with it. But it was just this motif of, like, a woman trapped in a house or, like, a woman as a house. You know, like just a woman in a house, like merged together into one. No, it's cool. I'm, yeah. It is I see exactly what you mean. And the reason why she did this is she saw it as either like a structure of refuge or a place where you could become trapped. Mm. And so she was like symbolically showing how a woman is often recognized as the household, right? Like she's yeah. trapped in the house, like that's her role. But also, like, home is such a lovely place and you love it because of who your mother is and like you know they always say a woman is what makes the house a home and like all this stuff yeah and so she was like symbolically showing that like by degrading women into homes like we were creating this trapped security Uh (laughs) and the imagery that she created ended up being used a lot during like the women's art movement in the 60s and 70s because it just really brought back, like, those personal feelings that women have with the roles that they've been given. It makes me think of the play A Dollhouse. Do you know that mm-hmm. play? I feel like I know the reference, but I don't Um
0: remember. A man wrote it, I'm pretty sure, which is, I guess, ironic, but... It's by Henrik Ibsen. That was my Feminist Awakening, was reading that play in my senior year That's awesome. <laughs> English class. But anyways, it kind of makes me think of that. <laughs> What's the play about? I can't remember exactly what happens, but basically the main woman character, the point is that she is a doll in like this man's dollhouse kind of a thing. Her gotcha. husband's dollhouse. And like while her husband isn't maybe like outwardly abusive and horrible at least I don't remember it so if I'm someone's listening and they're like um yes he is I'm sorry I don't remember (laughs) but like he's obviously like condescending and like not great and so it's Mm -hmm. kind of just like commentary on like women fitting into their household roles that way if I'm remembering it right I'm pretty sure like maybe she had like lied about something and it was like almost like her way of I don't know it's her development of this woman character that's not very great no, um, summary good. but basically I liked it it was like some awakening of yeah mm-hmm. her own like realizing she was in this dollhouse kind of thing
1: yeah I think another thing that's really cool is she does depict the women all as nude for the most mm-hmm. part and I think that's for a couple of reasons it's to like show that they are women because otherwise, like yeah you, you know you can mistake it one way or the other and then also just to show like that objectification of women that also comes within in their art. roles Yeah, okay. And art, yeah, as well, but also just like their role as a female in society. So that's the first one. And yeah, that was in 1946, 1947 is when she did a lot of those. So the next one is a performance piece by Yoko Ono, actually. It's called cut piece in the 1967s. I will be up front and say that performance art honestly freaks me out like big time. Really? <laughs> yeah. There's like, I'll talk about another one too. And ever since I learned about performance art, like it's not my favorite. Cause I okay. just, I love like plays and like musical theater and stuff, but like performance art where they're interacting with an audience and like doing something always like weirded me out a little bit. Cause I think it just gives too much power to the crowd. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's fair. (laughs) And this is like a perfect example of this. It's actually a video, but you can just look up pictures if you want. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I don't believe it shows anything, but it was in 1964 and performance art became really popular in feminist artwork because it was a way to like really demonstrate like a powerful feminist saying and like opinion. What happens in it is Yoko Ono is like kneeling on the ground and she has a pair of scissors in front of her. And then the audience is invited one by one to come up and cut a piece of her clothing off. Until she's left in like these tattered remains of clothing. And the audience like goes up and, you know, like a girl cuts off like a piece of her sleeve and then a guy cuts off like up a little higher. And then eventually it gets to the end where there's like this guy and he goes up and he cuts off her shirt and her bra and mm. she like pulls it up at the last minute and that's where it ends but it was just showing that like within gender a lot of the times like women become like the sexual object where they just remain motionless they have no power and they're just viewed as this object and the audience is able to do whatever they want you know just like mm-hmm. how society treats women a lot of the time especially during that time period so it's really powerful Still freaks me out a little, but (laughs) yeah, it's fair. I get it, but it's a very powerful piece. And it's one of the first like powerful performance art pieces. That's very critically acclaimed.
0: We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Okay. So today I will be shouting out someone or an organization that I actually found while doing my research for this episode. So it's just Feminist Art Coalition. They have an Instagram page, but I found them originally through their website. Something that I thought was cool is it's basically a platform for art projects that are informed by, you know, feminists and People who explore feminist questions and things like that. Their mission is to foster collaborations between art institutions that aim to make public their commitment to social justice and structural change. It seeks to generate cultural awareness of feminist thought, experience, and action. And what I think is so cool on their website is they do have participating or institutions that are, you know, actively kind of signed on saying that yep, we're doing this. And there's honestly a lot of of just museums throughout the united states i was like surprised i was worried when i clicked on it that it would be like five but it's actually a very long extensive list of art museums throughout the united states which i was like i said pleasantly surprised about but then also Mm -hmm. they have like a notes on feminisms which is basically just a series of essays about just a variety of different topics from people there's currently only four of them that are out but a lot of like the first one here is done by a professor of gender studies in English at Columbia who's like the author of so many books and anyways so they contribute just like cool essays to this I haven't read one because I just found it like right mm-hmm. before we did the episode but it seems really cool and it's like I said a cool organization they also do have a Instagram page that you can follow and like I said it's just the feminist art Co- coalition
1: That's awesome. I will say also, when you click on that account on Instagram, it brings up like a million other women's arts organizations and I just followed a bunch of them. Uh So Go check that out. As always, you can check our following, like who we're following on Instagram. If you want like a bunch of amazing artists and organizations and people Mm -hmm. too, we'll always have that. Yes. I actually am doing like a fun little logo a day challenge for the month of July. And it was organized by a hand letterer that I actually know from school. She went to UVU and um her account is called Type Affiliated. Her name is Haley. And then she's also doing it with a graphic designer called Laura. I think it's Laura who's doing it from By B and L. that's her account name. But basically they just came up with this whole list of 31 prompts for July and they have a bunch of like these fake businesses with color palettes and everyone's doing like a logo for every day of it. I love it. Yeah. But I also, I just really love like Haley's stuff, like type affiliated. She does all these hand lettering. There's actually a business like on my street that she did the rebrand for. Oh, no way. Hand lettered completely. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful every time. So I recommend following her anyway, but you can also follow the hashtag for everyone who's doing the logos. It's HL31 logos, and then you can see everyone's work and find even more graphic designers and artists from that as well. So, Which is obviously we love. Yeah, great opportunity and it's fun. There is actually something I saw on TikTok this week where someone brought up the fact that like there was a photography professor who assigned half of his class. Their assignment for the whole semester was to just take as many photos as they possibly could. Like quantity over quality, just like, it didn't even matter if they were good. They just had to have a million photos. (laughs) Yeah. And then the other half of the class he assigned quality over quantity. So they only, their final thing was to turn in one perfect photo. Oh yeah. And by the end of the semester, he realized that the people who did the quantity part ended up having better work. Because they Mm. were so focused on just like taking as many as they possibly could that they didn't get trapped up in the idea of like what was perfect. Yeah. And it ended up being better than the other people who obsessed over being, having the perfect Perfect. photo the whole time. So they hardly ever took a picture because they spent so much time like planning what they were doing while the Mm. other people were like refining their skills and learning how to use their camera and like messing around and doing cool stuff. And I think a lot of the times in art, like we do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so easy to yeah. obsess over perfection when, yes,
1: Yeah, if you let go of that, you make your best work. Agreed. So I think like stuff like this, where it's like one logo a day or they have like drawing challenges, like Inktober and stuff we've talked about, where you just kind of get out of your head and you're like, well, it doesn't even matter if it's great because it's just for this. It's not even for a client. Mm-hmm. And you're just creating like a mass amount of stuff. I think sometimes you end up doing better things. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Great opportunity to allow yourself to grow. We, and we love growing. So we do. We really Amazing. love it. All right. Now back to the show. The next is, of course, Judy Chicago's The Dinner Party. Had to bring it up again. It's just probably the most famous work of feminist art that there is, I would say, probably.
0: Yeah. Like, far, I mean, definitely one of the literally, most. the amount of times we've just referenced it in our episodes like it comes up all the time
1: it's mm-hmm. everywhere and we haven't even done an episode on judy chicago herself yet I'm, so, i know mean, that's <laughs> what i was thinking i'm like i feel like this is due <laughs> it's recognized as the first epic feminist artwork probably just because of the size it's, it's so huge. Big. yeah but she turned a dinner table which is an association to the traditional female role you know having the dinner table set it was shaped like an equilateral triangle each side has an equal number of place settings dedicated to a specific woman in history And each plate contains a dish. So it was just breaking into the idea of like how women are subjugated by society. She has a bunch of people sitting there. A lot of people we've mentioned. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going to say, "Mm -hmm." but like Sacagawea, Sojourner Truth, Eleanor of of Aquitaine, Empress Theodora of Byzantium, which we actually have an episode on. Yeah. Um, Virginia Woolf, another one we have an episode on. Um, Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, you know, we've talked about them in our history of Western feminism episode mm-hmm. and Georgia O'Keeffe, which eventually I promise we will have an episode on her. She's just yeah. so famous. <laughs> but that's a lot of symbolic guests that she has. Each play setting also includes a hand-painted china plate, ceramic flurry, and a chalice and a napkin with an embroidered gold edge. They also are all resting on embroidered runners. That has a bunch of needlework styles and techniques. And then it stands on a floor that's made up of 2000 white luster glazed triangular tiles inscribed in gold script with the name of one of 998 women who have made a mark on history. It's very beautiful. Yes. And very big and very grand. grand. Yes, very grand. (laughs) I get why they're saying it's one of the first epic works of art by like a feminist artist because truly like- It's huge. (laughs) Yes, it's giant. It actually received a ton of criticism, but then it like traveled the world for a really long time. Which makes sense. Yeah, a lot of people were like mad about it, but because people are mad about everything. (laughs) I was just gonna say, I mean, okay. (laughs) Yeah, but then it like it traveled the world for a really long time until eventually it got to the point where it was suffering because it was like moving around so much that they were worried that it wasn't going to hold up because it's made out of like thread and tiles you know stuff that wears down i was gonna say i feel like yeah like that would be something very difficult to travel with and so now it has a permanent place at a museum i think the brooklyn museum maybe in new york but yeah that's where it is permanently now so but it was a very big deal even in its time this one is extremely relevant. And I'm going to talk about a couple of her pieces, but most famously it's Barbara Kruger. your body is a battleground. And she mm. worked throughout the 1980s for the most part. Um oh, this yeah. one's been everywhere. I think it even was on the cover of time magazine, just barely for like a second time, cause I think it's done it multiple times. She's famous for this style. She mm-hmm. has like, it looks like the Supreme logo. If anyone's familiar with that it's literally like this typeface that's white on red backgrounds like strips Uh and then with photos used in like different collage photo montage ways and the most famous one is a woman's face and it has like a positive image and then like the negative reverse of that inverse where everything that's black is white and everything that's white is black like a negative image and then it just says in like her red and white letters your body is a battleground over the top of her face obviously talking about abortion rights and bodily autonomy and all of that it's been used over and over again but that's the kind of work that she's famous for she also has a couple talking about consumerism That says, i shop therefore i am or Mm -hmm. you are not yourself and it's all kind of that same style of like the white letters against the red background, but she did that your body's battleground for the 1989 women's March on Washington in support of legal abortion. And so that was kind of the major one that ended up being used a ton and then ended up even being made into a billboard commissioned by the Wexner Center for the arts and yeah, it's once again, it was on the New York times cover. I think just barely right. But they just changed the words to who becomes a murderer in post-Roe America. Oh, so wow. A very powerful stuff. She has a ton of work. It's very simple, but it's very cool to look at. This one I actually kind of find very funny. <laughs> Mary Beth Edelson, she did a rendition of Leonardo da Vinci's painting of The Last Supper. Oh, no way. But then instead of putting all of the apostles, she put... Uh, women artists (laughs) amazing yeah it's really funny she has them all in the same positions but she has their faces included instead and it's just notable women artists collaged over the heads of christ and his apostles it was just to talk about like religious and art historical iconography in the subordination of women so just like talking about how women are treated within religion and within art history and all of that. Very powerful, but also just like very humorous in a (laughs) lot of ways too. Like, I think a lot of people would consider it very blasphemous to do something like that. And I just think it's hilarious. So good for her. That was created in 1972. And it was one of the most iconic images of the feminist art movement because it had so many powerful people like sitting at that table. I was gonna say,
0: and I'm sure that pissed a lot of people off. So, oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. It reminds me of when Ariana Grande for her like VMA performance of God is the woman. It was like, it was like very Last Supper esque.
1: Have you oh, seen that yeah? performance? I you haven't. It. It's yeah, very. It
0: definitely channels like Last Supper vibes of all of them sitting at this long table, and that it's is God as so a funny. woman.
1: So I'm like. Uh, I don't it's get funny. why like people get mad about stuff like that. Cause it's not like Leonardo da Vinci was at the Last Supper. He didn't what yeah. it it actually happened. So they're like <laughs> kind of parroting the painting, not the actual event. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean like <laughs> the painting definitely represents something, but
0: like <laughs> yeah. I personally don't get offended by things like that. I so. don't either.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, with art and religion being so overlapped for the early years, I think you've just gotta kind of accept it as a part of art history. The next one is Hannah Wilk, uh, her Stratification Object Series in 1974. She just really wanted to represent herself in like a non-traditional ways. And her meeting was actually photography, which was really cool. She portrayed herself like in a bunch of various poses, positions and outfits. A couple of them, she's topless. And then a couple of others, she's completely clothed. And then she took all of these like various pieces of chewed gum. And then okay. shaped them into vulvas and arranged them on her body.
0: Oh, I was wondering yes. what the stuff on her face was. Chewed gum, which
1: also grosses me out. But I appreciate the metaphor. I mean, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful it, photos. Definitely. And she was like demonstrating how women in society are chewed up and then spit out. Which I, I really appreciate the metaphor of it, of yes. course. And they're cool. It's like selfies back in the 70s. Oh, they're very beautiful photos. <laughs> yes, they are. There's a couple of them where it has like all of them
0: uh-huh. in a row and
1: I love the way they all look together. Like it's it's really cool.
0: Man, I'm just like we are never going to run out of potential episode
1: ideas. <laughs> I know. Because now I want to know about all of these women. I know. We never will. This happens every time we do a basic overview. I'm like, well, great. Now I have another list of <laughs> uh-huh.
0: people that I want to know more about.
1: <laughs> okay, and now back to Marina. I'm um, Brava. Uh, Bravamik? A Bravamik. A Yeah. It's a performance piece again. This one, when I learned about it, really freaked me out. I think I'm this is why I'm afraid of performance it. art. It's called like Rhythm Zero or Rhythm O. I think okay. it's Rhythm Zero, but it was in 1974 and it was like she really wanted to horrify people with like the position of women in society okay. and trust me i was horrified so it worked but she presented like her public audience with 72 different objects and it was everything from like feathers and perfume to a rifle and a bullet like literally the biggest range of stuff you could ever imagine okay. and then she sat in front of the audience And was the object. And the audience could do whatever they wanted to do with her body for the next six hours. Ah. Six hours. Yeah. And her audience was in complete control while she laid motionless. Didn't react at all. The entire time. We watched a clip of it in school. And I was like horrified. Horrified. Of course, like the audience gets wild and they end up violating her body. I think at one point they even like someone used a rose and like used the thorns and cut her. In various places, like, it gets bad. <laughs> like, they really, really get scary. I and guess then she proved her point then. Yeah. At one point, a man threatens her with a rifle, and she still doesn't move. He's literally holding a gun to her head, loaded, <gasps> and she doesn't move. And then when the piece ends, the six hours is up, she stands up and starts walking toward the audience, and they flip out everyone is so scared that they, like, run away in fear because they can't deal with, like, what they just did. Like, how horrified they are with how they acted to her. And, like, oh when good. confronted with her as a person, like yeah. a moving, breathing person who actually reacts again, they come to terms with what they did and they're horrified. Oh, my
0: gosh. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at pictures and it doesn't, like, do, obviously, it justice, but hi yi yeah.
1: Yes. I, it's so interesting to me because obviously like when she's treated as an object, they had no ramifications with what they were doing at all. Yeah. The minute she became a person again, they were horrified. And obviously it was like a commentary on how women are treated as objects. And so people don't feel bad for the things they do to them because they're not willing to recognize them as people. Oh my gosh. That, yeah, I don't, I've never heard of that. (laughs) Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, like I am impressed with what she did and everything. I think it's very strong to like.
0: And so brave.
1: Yeah. And like to sit there while someone like literally carves you up or threatens you with a gun and not move a muscle. But also like a lot of people brought up how maybe it's going a little too far in the case of performance art to allow someone complete control over your body. But but I mean, yeah. like we said, she proved her point. So. <laughs> she did. <laughs> okay. This next one, I studied in a pop art class and oh, cool. I love her work. She actually did a lot of feminist artwork as well, but I want to kind of focus on her anti-war artwork because I mm. think it is incredible and just so powerful. So there's one piece that I, I think her main protest was the Vietnam war, but she has house beautiful bringing the war home. And it's all collage. So she took pictures from like Time magazine and then from Mm -hmm. like other home decorating like beauty magazines and mixed them together. And the juxtaposition of the two is just, it's horrifying. It's (laughs) beautiful. Yeah. Like you have this war going on and then you have like this home magazine with like a woman or like these architecture scenes that are just like beautiful from an interior design magazine and so yeah she had house beautiful bringing the war home that had time magazine shots of vietnam conflict with another image of like house decor publication called house Mm -hmm. beautiful this one is like my favorite and cleaning the drapes
0: yeah i love it
1: there's this woman she's like fashionable i'm sure it was for like a vacuum ad or something yeah she's vacuuming the drapes and then outside the window is a black and white scene of helmeted soldiers and their guns in the middle of war from the Vietnam War, obviously. And then house beautiful Gia Cometti is like the windows of a regal sitting room with a floral sofa and pricey looking artwork. And then out into the black and white filled beach of immobilized bodies. Mm. So just like incredibly powerful, I think, to mix like things from news and pop culture. So seamlessly together. It uh-huh. is just incredible. And she did a lot of feminist artwork as well. She just has a lot. Her main focus was war, but she was one of the only women pop artists. So I always was a huge fan. She also has done a lot on consumerism or the refugee crisis as well. She has one called Photo Op, where there's two identical blonde women who are screaming at their flip phones. And then up behind them, there's like refugee children's filed sprawled in chairs that are like hurt and tired. And then wow. outside of the home, like fire is raging. And she is just talking about like narcissism and wealth with wow. nearby distraction. So really, really powerful stuff. I love photoclage. I love that it's like a coming back into its mm-hmm. element. People are doing it again. I think it's so such an incredible medium. I wanted to bring this one up as well. She's a graphic designer. And all of her stuff was super feminist. Her name is Sheila DeBrettville. And she did this really cool, like, collaborative work of art in 1973. She handed out pieces of pink paper to friends and women on the street and then asked them to describe what the color meant for them and, like, how it aligned to their ideas of femininity. And then she assembled it together in, like, a quilt and then added blank spaces as well and put it up on a wall so that people could go up and write on the blank spaces while it was being exhibited oh like, I
0: love that So
1: cool yeah and then just also she arranged it in a way that it, like her day was broken up in three hour segments and uh-huh. then also arranged it like a quilt because she said it was very like reflective of women's work like quilting and sewing yeah. how that's recognized it's a beautiful beautiful piece I love it yeah it's really really cool and it's just so pretty like yeah it really (laughs) is with the pink everywhere and then there's like handwritten notes or some of them are typed and everything I just it's really beautiful and she has like a whole essay about what the color means to her on her website as Mm. well so highly recommend all of you to check that out too I'm like there's another potential future episode idea that I say no she's amazing then there's actually a whole thing called cyber feminism, which I didn't know about, but it's like a subcategory of feminist art because of like modern like technology, and, stuff. And, technology yeah. and everything. And so there's a couple of different things like that. I'm just going to list them because I don't know anything about them. Uh-huh. But Aaliyah Lyanna is my boyfriend came back from the war in 1996. Prima Murphy's Bindi Girl in 1999. And then Victoria Vesna's Bodies Incorporated in 1997. And they all used like video streaming chat rooms, uh, like hypertext coding, 3D modeling, all sorts of stuff like that. And I'm sure that moves into like VR and everything. Yeah. So that's a whole new thing that's there as well. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is just like the statement that everyone has the power to make, even if you're not like a professional artist. Mm-hmm. There is this student at Columbia University in 2015. And I just think it's incredible. So Emma Sokakwicz, I'm so sorry if I'm saying that wrong. She did this piece that I don't even think really started out as a piece. If anything, it was totally a protest. Yeah. But She was doing a, a visual arts degree at Columbia University. And during her final year, she created a thesis project out of this trauma that happened to her. And what she started doing is in September, 2014, she carried around her 50 pound mattress from her dorm all around campus every single oh day, gosh. to every class she went to, to every meal, everything. And when people started asking about it, she said the piece would end when a student who raped her in her dorm room in 2012 was expelled or otherwise left the university. She ended up carrying the mattress until the end of spring semester, as well as to the graduation ceremony. I was gonna say, I'm
0: seeing pictures of her and like other women Mm -hmm. carrying this mattress on stage with her.
1: Yes, they helped her carry it up to graduate, and she walked with her mattress in May 2015. The student that she accused was not found responsible by a university inquiry into the allegations. The police declined to pursue, and he even got really mad about like the whole thing and called it an act of bullying. He ended up filing a lawsuit against the university and administrators for exposing him to gender-based harassment by allowing the performance to go forward. I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the school obviously like came to the conclusion that he didn't need anything, but I like, why would you carry around a 50 pound mattress for fun? Yeah. You know, like, I feel like that has like, something obviously happened and like naming someone by name Yeah. If they didn't do it, I just, I believe her. And absolutely. (laughs) I think that that's a lot to go through for, yeah, for nothing. So obviously it stirred controversy because a bunch of people were mad about it, but a lot of art critics and commentators really believed in it. Jerry Saltz called it pure radical vulnerability, which I love because you're literally carrying your mattress around with you. Like, yeah, that is so vulnerable and other people called it one of the best art shows of the year. <laughs> a journalist described the work and events surrounding it as a triumph for the survivor movement and a nightmare for the student that she accused. Caught between defending and enabling her freedom of expression and then the rights of the uh, accused to due process, the university ended up having to <laughs> come up with new written policies for what they allow on campus. Because it was such a controversy because they wanted to allow her her freedom of expression. But they were also worried about like his right to like a trial and innocent until proven guilty, that kind of thing, you know. So it was kind of this problem for the university and they ended up being criticized by both sides and both sides' parents for how they handled everything because they did not do very well. (laughs) I'm clearly not. but (laughs) Yeah. But I think it's a really beautiful expression and, like, very vulnerable. And, I mean, she ended up with her own Wikipedia page for her performance artist piece over something that I'm sure was a total nightmare for her. But Dang,
0: yeah. that is so, like, bra- I don't know if brave is the right word, although it is, but I don't feel like it properly, like, sums up. That's yeah. That's crazy. That was not a very profound thing for me to say, mm-hmm. but I'm just, like, soaking in this yeah this art and just these pictures are so powerful and
1: i know it's incredible and for her thesis she had like the rules that she obeyed on the wall as well so she had like whenever i'm on the university property i must have the mattress with me this includes Mm -hmm. all these places and like had all these rules for herself of like how she would obey it and what she would do that's incredible oh it had to remain on campus when she was not there and she was not allowed to ask for help in carrying it, but could accept if help was offered. Yeah. Okay, so that makes sense. She kept a diary throughout. There's just so much about this work. I think it's really incredible. Everyone should go look it up. And I think it's a perfect example, of, like modern performance art and feminist art. Yeah, so vulnerable too. Yeah, definitely. Like, oh, I can
0: even imagine. Something that I've been thinking about lately is just the fact that like with social media, it's created a way that all of us have a platform to speak out on issues, on things that upset us and don't. But it's also created this like weird thing where it's like we're expecting everyone to also speak out. And I'm not here saying or like to be one of those people who's like, I don't know. That I, I have a feeling that people listening might think I'm going somewhere and I promise I'm not. What I am <laughs> saying is that it's interesting Just the idea of sharing your own traumas and your own Mm -hmm. triggers and balancing it for yourself where you're honoring your own privacy and honoring your own like need to sometimes just go through things by yourself, but also recognizing that sharing your own story and doing things like this are so vulnerable and so brave. But yet also you're not required to share your story in this way if that's harmful for you. You know what I mean? Agreed. Yeah. And sometimes I've thought like, oh, am I a coward because I don't speak publicly about these things? When in reality, it's like, no, those things are actually still traumas and things that I'm working through. And I don't know if I have the strength for that to be criticized right now. And that doesn't make me a bad or weak person.
1: You know what I mean? Agreed. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of the things I love about this too, is that it wasn't like right after her sexual assault occurred. She was in 2012 and this all began in 2014. Like it's okay to wait. Like sometimes it takes a long time before you're able to talk about something that hurts you. And I think that that's an important thing too is that a lot of times we expect people to speak up right as an issue is happening and maybe they're processing. Yeah,
0: that if they didn't speak out immediately, then it wasn't true and it's not real when it's like, no, <laughs> like there's so many layers to your own experiences. And it's like I said, sometimes I felt the pressure of like, oh, maybe I need to like, share this or even just like with promoting my own music of like maybe if i shared like the most juicy hurtful story from my past then that would make my song blow up and i'm just like but i don't really want to share something personal about my life you know and so it's just i don't know honor your own triggers and traumas and deal with them how you must and you feel like you should that's basically all i was trying to say
1: definitely yeah i know i completely agree Just very cool. Obviously there's millions of examples of feminist art that we could not get to because it's continuing all the time. So feel free to share any pieces that we missed with us in our Instagram comments this week. Mm-hmm. We post Monday's other works of art, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more in future episodes. We always do. <laughs> yeah,
0: yep, exactly. And if there's something that we like mentioned briefly in this episode that you think would be interesting to do a full episode on, like let us know so we can plan accordingly moving forward.
1: Yeah, we definitely like want to talk about things you all are interested in, too. Exactly. I mean, we're just kind of going off of what we want to talk about. But, True. Like, if, <laughs> if there's something you're dying to hear about, like we're totally willing to do whatever absolutely and then we will be
0: back next monday with our normal scheduled episode we'll be right back on with every single monday from here on out yes and we'll talk to you then thanks so much bye